previously on What's It All About. The Bible is not about us primarily. It's not about nations or history primarily. It's not about doing good works or religion, or it's not even about the supernatural primarily. All of those things are in the Bible, but the Bible is primarily about Jesus. He tells us exactly what will happen to him. He prophesies and promises what is awaiting him in Jerusalem. He says everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus says, everything that I'm going to experience, everything that I'm about to endure and overcome and accomplish is fulfillment. It is accomplishment of that which God has spoken through the prophets. Again, Jesus is saying, this book is about me. Welcome to the mini-series provided by Oasis Church, Athens, Ohio, titled, What's It All About? This is a five-part podcast series in which we are attempting to answer the question, what is the Bible all about? And we actually answered that question last week when we read the words of Jesus, where he says that everything in the Bible is written about him. So everything in the Old Testament all of the things that the prophets had said, everything that they preached about, everything that they talked about, and not only the prophecies, which speak very specifically about the coming of Jesus, who would be the one they called the Messiah, the one who would come to save them, but also the events of the Old Testament. And many of those people that you might have remembered reading about or learning about if you were a child that went to Sunday school People like Abraham and his wife Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Moses and some of those very familiar characters of the Old Testament, going all the way back to Noah even. All of these events and all of the things that took place were foreshadowings of the coming of Jesus. And so that's why Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, that everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And then he goes into great detail about how he would be arrested, how he would be beaten, how he would be spit upon, how he would be made fun of and put on a cross and die, and that all of that was going to be accomplished in him, by him, and through him. And so the question that we have raised, or the new question, I should say, that we have raised in seeking to answer the original question, and what's it all about, is where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Where is his name? Where does he show up? Where can we actually see him in the Old Testament? Well, before we get into some of the specific ways that you can see Jesus in the Old Testament and see how he is being referred to very specifically in the Old Testament, I want to take you to a section of Scripture in the New Testament that I find to be one of my favorite sections in the Bible, and that is the beginning of the Gospel of John, the first four verses, and then also verse 14. And the way John, this apostle, describes who Jesus is 
and where Jesus came from right at the very beginning of his gospel that he wrote. He actually begins by using the word, word, the actual word, word. In the beginning was the word. Now the Greek term for the word word is logos. Logos, L-O-G-O-S is how we spell it in our English language. Well, logos is the Greek term that is translated word or speech or principle or thought. And in Greek philosophy, it also referred to this universal divine reason or the mind of God. So they had some concept of a God, but they believed that God was more of a of a, of a just a, a divine force that was like reason of our minds and they would call that the logos and so in the new testament at the beginning of the gospel of john john says this he says in the beginning was the word was the logos and the logos was with god hmm. so the word was with god but then he says and the word was god oh he was in the beginning with God. He, the Logos, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so the way John starts teaching the Greek people about who Jesus is, is he calls him the Logos a term, an idea, a concept that they would have been very familiar with. And he's referring to Jesus as being the Logos, the Word. And not only that, he argues that Jesus is eternal and is in fact God. And not only that, but all creation came about by and through Jesus who is presented as our source of life, the very life that we have. And so amazingly, we see John from the very beginning of his gospel pointing all the way back to the beginning. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was what? <laughs> was God. Who is that? John's saying it's Jesus. And not only that, when we go on to read in Genesis 1 about the creation and all of the, the process of creating things, John says that was him. He was with God in the beginning, and the reason he was with God is because he himself is God. This is who he is. And then he says this amazing thing in John 1:14. He says that the Logos came and lived among us, and the Word became flesh, I quote, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so not only is Jesus in the Old Testament, not only can we find him in various places in the Old Testament and referred to in the Old Testament, Jesus was always present 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. That's where Jesus is. And I know sometimes as human beings, even though we can't always comprehend or fathom the great mysteries of the Bible, we still need those little reasons, those little hints of, okay, if the Bible's all about Jesus, I just need to see, I need to see where, I need to see how, I need to see where he's at in the Old Testament. If the prophets are speaking about him, then I need to see some of those specific places. And so that's what we're here to do. And so what I'd like to do is just try to answer that question for you today. I just want to share with you some different ways that you can actually see Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're not going to do this with something that's called allegorizing, which is where we just pretend he's there and he's not really there. But we're actually going to be faithful to the scriptures and seeing Jesus just as he taught us that we should see him in the Old Testament. Because he says all of the writings of the prophets are fulfilled in him. And so we need to go back and look at some of those then. The first place that we're going to look and see Jesus in the Old Testament is in something that theologians call Christophanies. These are actual appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born of Mary on the earth. And so we can obviously see Jesus in the New Testament as the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel. You see the birth of Jesus. We read about that during the Christmas story. You see the life of Jesus. And we tend to think only of Jesus as this human man who walked on the earth and taught and ministered and did all of these wonderful miracles and then died on a cross and then resurrected. Well, that's only a very small portion of the life of Jesus Christ because the life of Jesus Christ is eternal as God. And God determined that he would come to earth to rescue the people that he created who could not rescue themselves from their own sin. There needed to be perfection. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And so rather than just doing away with everything that he created, God said, I'm actually going to go and provide that perfect sacrifice for the people that I created so that they can live forever with me in eternity if they put their faith in me. And so this eternal God comes and spends about 30 years or so on the earth. and His name is Jesus. But the reality is, Jesus is eternal, and all of the Bible is written to point to this little moment of 30 years, and therefore, we must be able to see Jesus in other parts of the Bible. And the truth is, he does show up in many places in the Old Testament. Jesus makes some cameo appearances in the Old Testament. I'll just give you some examples. 
The Bible tells us that he walked with Abraham, that he wrestled with Jacob, that he appeared to Moses. Well, how do we know that was Jesus that actually appeared to Moses? Well, here's one way that we can get an idea of how Jesus appeared to Moses. When Jesus, who I'm talking now about that 30-year period where Jesus was on earth, when he's talking to some Pharisees, some teachers of the law, and people who are basically asking him, hey, who do you think you are to be able to speak the way that you speak and to claim to be God, basically, is what they're getting upset about. They say, who do you think you are? And Jesus' answer to them is, I'll tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's not bad grammar. That's just basically saying that I am eternal. I am yesterday. I am tomorrow. I am today, all at the same time. Jesus exists in eternity, and therefore, time is irrelevant to him. He works in time, and obviously he came in time during that little 33 or so year period, but Jesus tells those people, listen, I am before Abraham ever was. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus talking to Moses? Well, in Exodus chapter 3, and I think it's right around verse 14 or so, it's the chapter where God is speaking to Moses, and Moses wants to know what his name is. And the answer that comes is, I am. And Jesus says in the New Testament, that was me. I am. I was the one who spoke to Moses. Where else does Jesus appear? Well, he joined Daniel in the fiery furnace. He also called Isaiah into ministry. And this is a really magnificent scene in Isaiah chapter 6, which is actually written about 700 years or so before Jesus was born of Mary. And the scene is Isaiah goes in to minister in the temple and heaven opens up. And it's like the curtain into the presence of God is pulled back and Isaiah is able to see the Lord. And he looks in and he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple and surrounding him were angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And you wonder who was that that Isaiah saw? And in John chapter 12, right around verses 40 and 41, he says, Isaiah saw me and spoke of my glory. That's amazing. Sometimes we miss those little passages, I think. We miss the connection of what Jesus says and what it points to in the Old Testament. It very likely pointed to that moment when Isaiah said he got to see him. My eyes have seen, he says. And Jesus says, that was me that he saw. That was me. And so what that tells us is that even before Jesus was born, he was ruling and reigning in heaven, in glory as God, and he was calling Isaiah into ministry. Well, one of the ways that we're able to discern when Jesus presents himself in the Old Testament is just by a very particular use of language in the Old Testament. 
in the Bible, there is a difference between when the Bible says an angel of the Lord appears, which is usually a spirit being, a messenger of God. There are many angels who come on behalf of God to speak. But there are a handful of times where it says the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord. And many scholars believe that oftentimes when we see that language, when the messenger of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament, that that is actually Jesus in a Christophany, in an appearance in the Old Testament. It's him appearing before he's born of Mary. And so the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, is the one who provided the sacrifice in Isaac's place when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. And the messenger of the Lord showed up and said, Abraham, don't lay a finger on him. Look up in the thicket and see that a ram has got his horns stuck. You can use that as a sacrifice in place of Isaac. That was the messenger of the Lord who was very likely Jesus who, by the way, later would come and be that sacrifice for all of us. So again, what we're doing is we're taking the words of Jesus where he says, everything the prophets wrote is accomplished and fulfilled by me. And so we're saying, okay, Jesus, then where are you in the Old Testament? Where can we see you? And the first place we're able to see him is in the Christophanies. A second way that we see Jesus in the Old Testament is in something called types. Types are Old Testament representative figures or They can even be institutions or events that foreshadowed Jesus, that foreshadowed the coming of Jesus. And so what you're looking for when you're in the Old Testament is you're looking for figures or institutions or events that are foreshadowing, that are prophetically anticipating and revealing how Jesus would come and what he would do. And I'll just give you some examples. They include people like Adam, the very first man, who foreshadows Jesus, who would become our second Adam. And we see in places in the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, where Jesus and Adam are said to be corollary in that Adam is the head of all fallen humanity because of his sin, but then Jesus would come and he would be the head of all new humanity because of forgiveness of sin and giving us righteousness. That he would come in the same type of way, but he would be an opposite result. Another example is the priesthood which prefigures Jesus as our high priest. And this is pretty much what the entire book of Hebrews is about. A good portion of the book of Hebrews is about how the whole priesthood, the whole institution of the priesthood was to just simply to get us to Jesus. We wouldn't need a priesthood once Jesus came because he would be our great high priest once and for all. Other people who prefigure Jesus throughout the Old Testament are people like David or all the other kings. 
they would prefigure Jesus who would come to be the king of kings. And Jesus is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And so whenever you read in the Old Testament about a king, always remember, ah, yes, that's pointing to Jesus who is the kingliest of them all. Moses and all the prophets, they would prefigure Jesus who would be our ultimate prophet, the one who would ultimately come and call us all to repentance and then invite us to return to God by grace. He would be a prophet that could do both of those things. All of the sacrifices, you wonder what in the world were all those animal sacrifices about in the Old Testament? Well, they all prefigure Jesus as the one sinless lamb who would be slain for our sins, whereas animal sacrifices would never need to be done again. Jesus was actually called this by John the baptizer, the man who was actually Jesus's cousin, born of Elizabeth, cousin of Mary. And John would look up in a very prophetic moment and he saw Jesus walking toward him as he was out baptizing people in the river. And John looked up and he sees Jesus and he points to him and says, behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What he's doing is he's referring to the sacrificial system that they all would have known and been very, very familiar with where animals would lay down their life and blood was shed for sinners, all of it being a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come, the once for all sacrifice that Jesus would provide so that we don't ever offer sacrifices today because Jesus was that sacrifice. All of that in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Another type that pointed to Jesus is the temple. The entire temple, that structure, which prefigured the presence of God dwelling among people. Well, Jesus came and became the Holy of Holies while on earth. And so they really didn't need the temple because Jesus was there. God was dwelling with them. And then when Jesus died and rose and ultimately sent the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of all men and women who would put faith in him and trust in him and be saved by his grace, he then would dwell anywhere where one of those people were present. And that's the way it is today. And so today we don't go to a holy place. We just go to Jesus. Today, there is one mediator, the Bible says, between us and God, and that is Jesus. And so everything, everything points to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And all of those types, those institutions, those events, those structures, all of those things were things that were pointing to Jesus. You see, here's what I'm trying to do. I want you to read the Bible and always get to Jesus. I mean, that is the most important thing in the world. That's the center of all that we believe, the center for all life change. I mean, it's really the bedrock of what it means to be a Christian, of what we believe, and then how we live that out. 
as people of God, as the church. The Bible is a word from God. We read it, we study it, we listen to it, and we memorize it, all for the purpose of getting to know Jesus. If you read, study, listen to, or memorize the Bible for any reason other than getting to know Jesus, you're missing the point because it's all about Jesus. Always. Well, if you're not yet convinced that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament, let me just give you one more. In addition to Christophanies and types, there is something that is called analogous service. And I just want to give you some examples of, of this, this thing that we call analogous service. Basically what this is, is there are people in the Old Testament who do things that ultimately Jesus does completely and fully. And so this is, again, a bit of foreshadowing or anticipating or preparing for the coming of Jesus and the service that he would ultimately provide. And so there are lots of things in the Old Testament that are done by people that may cause you to scratch your head when you read about it or might cause some question like, well, why is that being done? Or what's going on there? And when you put it all together and you look at the service that Jesus provides once for all, then it makes sense. Things that maybe don't make as much sense in isolation make sense when you look at Jesus and you say, ah, oh, that was all about Jesus coming. Let's just walk through the Old Testament. Unlike the first Adam, the one who sinned, Jesus Christ is the last Adam. Jesus passed his test in the garden, unlike Adam. And in doing so, Jesus imputes his righteousness to us in order to overcome the sin that was imputed to us through the first sin of the first Adam. When Abraham left his father at home, Abraham was doing the same thing that Jesus would do when Jesus left heaven to come here to be our Savior. You see, Abraham was called by God to leave his home so that he could be the father of the faithful, the Jewish family through whom Jesus would eventually come. When Isaac, Abraham's son, carried his own wood and laid down his own life willingly to be sacrificed at the hand of his father, Abraham, who mercifully was stopped by the angel of the Lord and provided a substitute, all of that was being done to show us what Jesus would also later do as he would carry the own wood of his cross to go and lay down his life willingly by the hand of his father for our sins. He would be the substitute. Jesus is the greater Jacob, who in the Old Testament we read, wrestled with God the Father. And Jesus wrestled with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And although wounded and limping from his wrestling match, he walked away from his grave, blessed and able to bless the world. Jesus is the greater Joseph, who serves at the right hand of God, the King, and extends forgiveness and provision to all of us who have betrayed him, like Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. And Jesus uses his power, like Joseph did, to save his brothers. Jesus uses his power to save us and reconcile us with our Father. 
Jesus is greater than Moses in that he stands as a mediator between God and us, just like Moses stood as a mediator between the people of God and the Pharaoh. And Jesus brings us the new covenant as a mediator. Unlike Job, Jesus was innocent, perfectly innocent, and he suffered and was tormented by the devil so that God might be glorified while his dumb friends were of no help or encouragement to him, just like Job's dumb friends were of no help or encouragement to him. Jesus is a greater king than David, who has slain all of our giants of Satan and sin and death. And although in the eyes of the world, he was certain to face a crushing defeat at their hands, Jesus was victorious just like David, but greater. Jesus is greater than Jonah in the fact that he spent three days in the grave and not just in the belly of a fish. And he did so to save a multitude of people even larger than the city of Nineveh. Jesus is greater than Boaz, who redeemed Ruth and brought her and her despised people into community with God's people. And he was showing what Jesus would later do to redeem his bride, the church. The Bible refers to us as the bride of Christ. And Jesus redeemed us like Boaz did with Ruth, but he did it in a much greater way because he did it for all of the nations of the earth. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, he was doing something very similar to what Jesus would do, who comes and builds for us a new Jerusalem or our eternal home of heaven. When Hosea married an unfaithful wife who was a prostitute, who he continued to love and pursue, he was showing us the heart of Jesus, who does the same thing for his unfaithful people, his unfaithful bride that we call the church. Can you begin to see how everything just points to Jesus? Everything. Throughout the Old Testament, significant figures like these men and women that I just went through do very important things that ultimately lead us to Jesus, who actually ends up doing even greater things and does them better. We have just one episode remaining. And you might be wondering, well, what is there left to answer? Because we've really answered the question, what's it all about? And how can we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, there is still one question that I think we need to answer before we bring this series to a conclusion. And that question is, why? Why did God do this? Why all of that in the Old Testament? And why did Jesus come and do what he did in the New Testament? Well, I'll be really honest with you. I don't know that I can fully answer that question. And we probably will never know truly why until we meet with God in heaven and ask him ourselves. But the good news is the Bible gives us enough. Enough of an answer for us to be able to believe it. For us to not have to blindly say, well, okay, I guess I'll just trust God and hope for the best. No, you don't have to have that kind of response. You can reasonably look at all of these facts and say, this makes a lot better sense than any of the alternatives. 
any honest intellectual person, I believe, has to conclude this is a better explanation for why I'm here, for why I exist, for why there's evil in the world, for all of the unexplainable things that occur in life. This is a better explanation than the alternative explanations, which are basically just all happens by chance, I guess. Which are you going to put your faith in? In what explanation is your hope? You see, my greatest motivation for doing a podcast series like this is that someone like you would get a hold of it someday and you'd listen to it and you would be convinced to put your faith in Jesus. But I can't do that convincing. No podcast can do that convincing. That is something that the scripture tells us that Jesus does himself through the Holy Spirit who now lives in the lives and hearts of all of those who bring this good news. And so my prayer as you listen to this is that the Holy Spirit would speak through this microphone, through this podcast, through your headphones, through your speakers, and that you will decide to put your faith in Jesus. Because there's good reason to. And I'll tell you why. Next time.